You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful F1 fans out there. Welcome to the year in review, as well as the newest and latest hot topics. If you're hearing my voice, I can only mean one of two things, that my name is Kelsey, and two, you are listening to the newest episode of F101. So before we get into our hot topics in the year in review, let me answer a couple of questions that has come up uh, from some of my fans, family members, and people who enjoy the podcast in general. They have asked why it's taken me so long to do the year in review episode. And it's a very simple question. I have learned throughout the years watching Formula One and just from watching sports in general that just because the racing season is over doesn't necessarily mean that the drama and the news has stopped. And instead of breaking it up into really small episodes and increments which you may or may not miss i decided to hold off and give you guys the biggest news from the end of 2022 right now and we're going to get into it right now with the hot topics the number one and much awaited news uh the ferrari race director matteo bonato has officially resigned uh, as the ferrari race director for 2022 i say the word resigned in massive air quotations. I do think that the higher ups in Ferrari in general, not just the Formula One aspect of it, but of the company in general, have decided that he has not done a good enough job and has given him the ultimatum of either you resign and you do it publicly in safe some face or you're officially fired. I think that this comes, I mean, a half a season too late. He should have resigned halfway through the season just for his performance or lack thereof. Uh, the lack of him being able to take responsibility for what has happened for Ferrari through, for throughout the season. We all know at the beginning of the season, it was a massive battle between Ferrari and Red Bull. A uh, couple of DNFs, uh, mechanical issues on both sides, not just Ferrari, but for Red Bull as well. And it really looked like that they were going to be able to actually compete this year. There's been a couple of years where they haven't had such success in formula one but it really looked like with the new innovation for the new cars the new the way the new cars were looking regulations all that kind of stuff and including the cost cap that ferrari was really going to be able to hold their own against the major teams this season and it just it absolutely was a farce it was a joke it was laughable and it was all and out embarrassing and i mean just kind of like a coach in any other nfl team or a NHL team, Major League Soccer, whatever, if you're the man in charge, including Formula One, it is going to come down to how you performed and how you got your staff to do it. Um, disappointing 2022 season. That I mean, that's a that's an understatement. So many team errors, logistical errors, uh, essentially for the fact that they wouldn't let their drivers make their own decisions, um, always passing the buck that, well, we don't call it, we don't, give out blame in in Ferrari that it's a team effort we're trying our best and the the excuse is just I mean you can only say the same thing so many times before nobody believes you it's like the boy who cried wolf if you're crying that well it was a team effort and we'll just get it next time or it was a mechanical error we're we're not believing you at this point so Ferrari finally ended up getting rid of him it's not all bad for Bonato though yes he will not be the race director for Ferrari for the future, but there are four, as of right now, there are four different teams that are 
seriously, seriously interested in hiring him as well as one for this foreseeable future that they are not in Formula One yet. So the teams that are interested in him, Red Bull, Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Alpine. Now, at the time of this recording, Red Bull and Mercedes have both come out saying that we do not want Mattia. Uh, Mercedes called him broken porcelain and that he's been cracked too many times to be effective. Count on Total Wolf to just, you know, have absolutely the most savage comments about someone's work ethic. But it it's to the point that he's broken so many things and that he has wrecked so many things that there's no point in bringing him forward. Red Bull stated that they're not getting rid of Christian Horner, that they will keep him for the foreseeable future. They will sign him to more contracts because he is the future of Red Bull, in my opinion. So now we're down to Aston Martin and Alpine, neither of which have had any kind of uh, response to the, I don't want to say allegations, but to the rumors that Bonato will be coming to those teams, uh, as well as Audi 2026. They are seriously, and I mean seriously, looking at hiring him for the race director. Now, what does that mean? What will he do for the next three years? I have absolutely no idea. Again, these are all just rumors, but those three teams seem to be the most substantial rumors and the best odds of him staying in Formula One. I don't think anybody's going to touch him with a 10-foot pole outside of that. He has proven that he can make a fantastic team into a mediocre team that he can take a team that takes responsibility for their mistakes and he can just kind of wash, whitewash the responsibility where it's no one's responsibility. It's nobody's fault when realistically some people are, you know, they are to blame. Hopefully we'll see him in Formula One. I really do think that he needs a bounce back team. He needs a bounce back season. Uh, He needs a team that will call his bullshit that, hey, something went wrong, we need someone, not we don't need someone to blame, but there is someone to blame, let's get this fixed, let's do it properly, Ferrari is not that team, Uh, Bonato also needs a team that the higher-ups outside of the Formula One franchise and the Formula One arm, they're not involved, let him direct the team that he sees fit, if he makes a mistake, then it's on him, if he succeeds, it's on him, like, let him take responsibility and keep uh, additional management out of the way. On the flip side, Ferrari made this announcement or make him made him make this announcement and they have absolutely no replacements. Talk about making shit up as you go along. It has not been announced as of right now on today's December 11th that Ferrari has no replacement for him. There's no rumors. There's all the experts haven't said anything. There's no, um, well, again, we'll just go back to rumors. There's no rumors that any other race director is leaving any other teams to go to Ferrari. So essentially, Ferrari has fired their race director, they fired their captain with absolutely no idea what they're doing. They have no, they don't know what, what's going to come next. And that is pretty much how Ferrari's team has been summed up this year. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. I mean, Ferrari's sticking on a path. I mean, they got their over 1,000 races in. Congratulations, you're, a, you're part of Formula One history. You are Formula One history. But I don't see it getting any better if they can't even decide who's going to take over the race director's position. So... We'll see what happens in 2023. Maybe they hire an interim for, you know, just the time being, just to get things underway. But, hey, it's Ferrari, so who the hell knows? Moving on, they have added more sprint races to the calendar for the 2023 season. Do you like the sprint races? Let us know. Email us. Let us know your comments. Um, Do you even like them? They are interesting to to a certain 
extent, but I don't think they're necessarily needed to make Formula One a success. I think that the sprint race was brought in to just attract more viewers and more subscribers to like F1 TV, have more people buy more merchandise. Yeah, it does kind of make it more exciting, but at the same time, it makes a weekend even longer for the racers and for the viewers. For example, I've got some friends that are diehard Formula One fans that make their work schedule around the Sunday races. That's why you're there. That's what you want to see. Now, everyone's having to rearrange their schedule because the Sunday sprints or Saturday sprints for the Sunday races. I know the drivers are getting burnt out. Some of the fans are getting burnt out, which, but it's financially, it's financially a bonus for Formula One because they can just charge more money for more races. So, I mean, they've added six. It's going to be a lot more races, essentially two races a weekend. So you're going to go from 23 official races to 30 actual races because we're going to count the sprint races as actual races. They're like 100 kilometers. So I would consider that an actual race. I mean, this just adds more cost to each team. This adds more strain to the engines and the cars and the staff and the drivers. And I think it promotes burnout in the industry more than it really needs to be. Let's say, let's not do six. Let's stick it to three, three sprint races. I mean, why, why double it? Why make even more effort than you absolutely need to? So the six places that we've got sprint races, uh, and there's one suggestion that there might be a switch just in case, you know, political reasons or weather or schedule-wise. Schedule-wise, the six races are Baku at the beginning of the season. That's the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Then you've got the Red Bull Ring in Austria. You've got Spa, which is the Belgian Grand Prix. You've got Qatar. You've got Austin in the U.S. You've got Interlagos in Brazil. So the only one that would be switched would be the Qatar with Saudi Arabia. Now that just goes weather-wise, time of year, um, if Qatar can actually handle that rate, like an extra race, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a good idea that you have options where you can switch sprint weekends i mean what i wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if they just drop the sprint weekend and let's say you don't have six you have five or four just to give those drivers a break um they did however make budget cap uh, alterations which is great to see that they're not just relying on the teams to be like hey we're adding twice as many sprint races but you have half the budget so a normal sprint budget for a team is one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then you've got an additional hundred thousand in case of car repairs now let's think back to oh let's say mick schumacher the sprint weekend he just absolutely fucked up his car like absolutely destroyed it tore it in half i mean he was okay which is great but it cost haas over a million dollars in damage so out of that million haas only actually paid nine hundred thousand dollars because you have a hundred thousand dollar allocation for car repairs okay that's great but now you've doubled it so what they've done is they've put in for every single team you've got a three hundred thousand dollar budget for sprint races but that does not include they took away the car repair allocation so you've got 300k for six races all in it does help but it doesn't help at the same time so if you do the simple math you get $150,000 allowance for a sprint race okay that's extra and then you get $100,000 for car repair okay so it's $250,000 per race now you're getting $300,000 per race it's only 50k more it's a little bit of a budget increase. I don't know how much $50,000 would add to the budget or give room for repairs 
or for replacement parts or anything like that, but they have increased the money and none of the teams seem to have been complaining about that. So, I mean, extra money for the teams is, is a, it's always a happy thing for them. Uh, they're never going to complain about an extra budget. So six sprint races next season. I think it's three too many. I think three sprint races was perfectly fine. Same as this season and the two that they introduced the season before. Just stick to that. You don't always have to go above and beyond every single time or give something new every year. It's going to turn into a circus sooner rather than later. But that's my opinion. And I'm sure that's some of the opinion for some of the fans and all the drivers. Moving on, Daniel Ricciardo has released some of the terms that he has signed with Red Bull. Now, this is very, in my eyes, the terms that he dictated for his own contract, I believe, is ridiculously important, not only for Formula One, but for any other major sporting event, because it, as far as I've been able to find, it does set a precedence in mental health awareness and mental health um, assistance when it comes to professional sports. Daniel Ricciardo, as we all know, is the third driver for Red Bull. Okay, that's great. Now, the general duty of a third driver is that you travel with the team to every single race, whether you race or not, but you do media. So you're going to do you know, some play-by-play. You're going to go pre-race, post-race. You're going to do interviews. You're going to each town and you're going to you know, talk about your brand and get everybody excited about Formula One and so on and so forth, as well as simulator training and development for the car for the that season and for the previous season. Okay, That's still a lot to do, even though you're a third driver and you may not do anything. What Daniel Ricciardo has done, what he's put in his contract, which Red Bull very intelligently has agreed with because they know how valuable Daniel Ricciardo is, is that Daniel said that he will not travel to every single race in the 2023 calendar. He will not be with the team for the entire 23 weeks of racing in the calendar that his intention is still to step back, to recoup, to rest and enjoy Formula One as a fan and to enjoy racing as, you know, as another member of the form or of the Red Bull family. He's taking his mental health into consideration and Red Bull is extraordinarily intelligent and saying, you know what, that's totally acceptable. They did, however, uh, hire another, what do you want to call him? A replacement third driver. Maybe uh, you want to call him a fourth driver. He is an F1-2 or an F2 driver as well. He will be taking over when uh, Daniel's not there, but this is ridiculously important for sports. Daniel has said that his mental health is more important than anything else. He needs a break. He needs to be able to enjoy it again. He needs to be able to get back to quote unquote normal life to get back to a normal pace of life. And I think this will spread throughout formula one. I think this is a fantastic idea. I do see formula one getting more third drivers to replace their first and second drivers when they need a break. 23 weeks of racing is a lot of racing, especially because the calendar doesn't seem to be getting any smaller. The only reason why it's not 24, like I talked to you guys last time that I told you that the Chinese Grand Prix has been canceled due to strict COVID regulations from the country itself. They want zero COVID transactions, which means they're going to cancel the Grand Prix. You're down to 23 races. Okay, that's one more weekend and a lot of thousands of miles that the teams don't have to travel. That's great. They get a little bit of a break. But Daniel set a precedent here. He's going, I need a break. I need to be able to enjoy this again. And I think if Formula One teams and the women's series and formula two and formula three and other professional sports out there 
should take a look, hard, long, hard look at this and figure out a way to make this work for them as well. I mean, you, I know athletes are paid to play a sport and that they are idolized as, you know, sometimes heroes and they, they do play a game for living. But at the same time, the mental strain on these athletes because they've got fans and sponsors and teammates and bosses themselves that just mentally just pound on them week in and week out that they do need a mental break. They do need to be able to go and take a step back and just take a breath, hang out with family, go on vacation, essentially unplug. And then you take what one or two weeks off or three weeks off, whatever they need. And then they come back. Everybody still has a job. The team still performs as well as they need to, if not better because these guys are being able to get the break they need. So congratulations to Daniel for putting that into his contract. Congratulations for Red Bull for recognizing how important this is. And I do see this spreading throughout Formula One, hopefully in the near future. Moving on, these next couple of subjects, uh, Mercedes is in two of the hot topics this time, and one of them is not exactly for the best idea, but we're going to leave that one to last. So hot topic, Mercedes and Aston Martin, as of 2023, they are having some of their car development essentially rejected by the FIA. Now, at the beginning of this season, before the Austrian Grand Prix, we're going to start with Mercedes. Mercedes had come out with a brand new front wing design. Now, what they essentially add is that the uh, overall shape of the wing was the same. But what they added was little blocks that essentially looked like the size of those old school white erasers that we used to use as a kid. They added about five of those made of carbon fiber to the very top wing to help direct the air over the car that they needed to. It added more uh, aerodynamic stability. It also increased the downforce on the car, and it wasn't a massive weight gain to the chassis itself. Now, remember, there was eight total, four per side, I believe was the count, but they're only the size of erasers, okay? Those, those white erasers we used to have as, as school children. There was a massive uproar uh, from a couple of teams going, hey, where'd this come from? What's it for? But it was totally within the FIA regulations of 2022 that it was in what they called the spirit of the sport and that it was totally allowed, but they was just a demo. They used it for a couple of practice laps, but they never ended up using it for any of the races. At the same time, Aston Martin had come out with a brand new rear wing, a totally brand new shape. And I use brand new in air quotations just because no one else had come up with this shape for 2022. Essentially what the rear wing had would do is that it would scoop more air over the wing and it would force the back end of the car down even more. Again, more aerodynamic stability, more force onto the ground, which means better grip. Well, the FIA in their, what, infinite wisdom have decided for the 2023 regulations, they have changed the regulations where both Red Bull and Aston Martin are no longer allowed to use those two designs for next season as they are not in the spirit of development. Okay, so let me recap. We have the Drivers' Championship, okay? So that's pretty self-explanatory. It's Drivers. Uh, and then we have Constructor Championship. Oh, wait, what's that word? Constructors. It's within the rules for them to modify the cars that the FIA sets out. And now all of a sudden, the FIA is deeming that these new pieces are not in the spirit of the sport. Well, then what the fuck do you want these guys to do? You gave them a blank slate. Here's the rules. Work within the rules. They worked within the rules. But just because you don't like it, you're going to change the rules every single year. And the FIA has a history of doing this, um, not just against 
for our Mercedes or Aston Martin. They've done it for Ferrari. They've done it to Red Bull. They've done it to almost every single team in the grid. So what's the point in even having rules and regulations of what you can and cannot build if you're just going to change the rules for next season going, oh, uh, yeah, we don't like that. So next season, you're not allowed to do that. Well, then what's the point? Both Mercedes and Aston Martin are not getting any refunds on the money that they spent on this development either. It's just, okay, you wasted all that money and who knows how many thousands of dollars it took for them to develop these upgrades. And then the FIA is going, nope, not allowed. Like no other team was complaining about them. They looked at them. They were within the rules of the 2022 racing season. Nobody complained. So now what about the teams that are looking to not copy, but do their own versions of these modifications for the 2023 season? Are they going to get their money back? Because you know they have to start all over again from scratch when it comes to the application of research and development and all the money they paid and all this kind of stuff. So are they going to get their money back? Or is the FIA going to change their mind yet again halfway through 2023? Leave the constructors alone. Make a set of rules. Okay, this works. You're great. You love it. It's within the rules. Use it. Unless it's some egregious development of a car that absolutely breaks the rules leave them be let them be or here's the concept to the guys in the fia that create the racing rules don't make them so fucking gray black and white you can do this you can't do this you can do this you can't do that don't leave such a gray area for these teams to spend money and time developing this stuff fans get excited the racers get excited it's going to be another fantastic addition to the car just to turn around and go oh yeah you know what no we're bad no can't do that because we deem it not acceptable for the rules of the spirit of the race like fuck off come on give them the opportunity let them create the cars as they see fit within the original rules that you gave them for the 2022 season now i'm believing i'm getting more upset about this than aston martin or mercedes put together they have not released any kind of they haven't given any press release on upset they are that they can't use this. Mercedes did come out with a statement after the Austin Grand Prix going, hey, this was just an experiment. We didn't put it on any of the cars. It didn't make it into any of the races. This was just testing it out as they are allowed to do just to see how it would work for aerodynamic and all the stuff we wanted it to do. And then they just left it at that. They acknowledged that they can't use it for the 2023 season. Aston Martin has agreed that they can't use the wing for their 2023 season and they're just moving on. But I mean, as a fan, I'm just, for a friend that digs this deep, I'm just like, just let them, just let them build it. It's just, it's not fair in my opinion. And that just brings us right into speaking of things that aren't fair and don't make sense. So let me bring you back to about halfway through the season or a little, little more than halfway through the season. Red Bull was hit with a cost cap penalty, ended up being $7 million and they lost some aerodynamic wind tunnel time. Okay. And I also mentioned that there were rumors about how Mercedes found out about how much Red Bull was over and that Red Bull was over before even Red Bull found out. And then Christian Horner, rightfully so, was like, hey, what's going on here? It sounds like there's, and he didn't use the word mole, but I'm going to, that there's a mole in the FIA leaking information to other teams that they're not privy to. It makes sense because the way you looked at it going, yep, there's somebody with inside information giving out information that they really shouldn't have. Turns out that the uh, interim secretary general of motorsport who got promoted in 2022 at the beginning of the season, great promotion, congratulations, 
uh, also turned out to be Mercedes' lawyer back in the day when she first started in F1. This woman's name is Shayla Ann Rio. Okay. Congratulations on your your promotion. That's great. Interim Secretary of Motorsport. Okay. Her responsibility was the oversight of the cost cap ruling. Okay, so now you're in charge of other teams, looking over the budget for other teams, so you are privy to all this financial information, including Mercedes and Red Bull and Aston Martin and every other team in the F1 paddock. Every other team, not every other team, I should say, most teams, when they found this out, when this promotion had happened, had given their you know, letters of concern to the FIA going, hey, is this really fair? You've got a former Mercedes employee now in charge of and having access to very sensitive financial and developmental information from each team. We're not saying that she's a mole. We're not saying that she's corrupt or doesn't have any morals, but we don't necessarily trust her because she used to work for Mercedes. And we all know Mercedes, if they can get a leg up on their uh, opponents and their opposition, they're going to do it. Whether it's, it's never, ever illegal. It's always that, that nifty little gray area which Mercedes always seems to find. And somehow, in my opinion, they found another set of green area to get their former lawyer into this position. But that's just, I mean, another team trying to get the upper league on other teams. You kind of expect that within sports to a certain extent. But at the same time, you also expect whatever sporting regulations and governing bodies to be above and beyond that. But as... Lewis Hamilton famously said a couple years back, cash is king. And if you can bring in more cash to the sport, that definitely means you're king. Now, we also got a brand new F1 director, uh, Ben Salam. Great guy. He wants to improve the sport. He's done fantastic with the rules and regulations. But I think this one kind of went over his head and he needed his assistance to tell him like, hey, this is not really, this is not looking good. This is not a good idea. So, after her regs after her resignation and she she quit she did not get fired and this is the at the end of this season ben salam thanked rio for her thanked rio in her statement and he said invaluable contribution during her time with the fia saying she gave him great support and respect in formula 1 blah 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 hey that's fantastic rio's exit comes days after ben salam dismissed suggestions of any pro mercedes links within the fia I don't believe that that's a crock of shit. And if not, that is the best timing or worst timing, depending on how you want to look at it in the history of formula one. That's essentially cheaters getting away with it before they got caught. Um, in a further statement, Ben Salam said, I will be very honest with you and I'll defend my opinion when it comes to, and there are accusations that she is a mainly supporter of Mercedes, but actually when the cost cap penalties were there on both teams, she said it was a bit harsh to me when it came to Red Bull. Oh, congratulations. So you're taking her at her word saying that just because she said the penalties for Red Bull was a bit harsh, that automatically means that she wasn't helping Mercedes at all. That is, in my opinion, that is being totally naive if you're the FIA president. You don't put yourself in this kind of situation. And I'm going to say this wholeheartedly that if I get in trouble for this, then so be it. But I firmly believe that Mercedes had a mole in the FIA. They were going to get busted. So that's why she resigned. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see uh, Anne's name later in Formula One with Mercedes, but in a different capacity, probably back as their lawyer, but maybe a little bit further away for maybe the Mercedes brand, but not necessarily Mercedes F1 team. But yeah, I totally think that Mercedes at, were cheating 100% that they had a mole and that Ben Salam figured it out and that they gave her an ultimatum of she has to resign or you know another big penalty is going to come because we all know how much the FIA loves their backdoor deals. Uh, Red Bull is a perfect example. They did a backdoor deal essentially saying not publicly but admitting that yes they were over the cost cap and that here's your penalty, here's your punishment, here's a slap on your hands, now go back to work. I mean, they're notorious for this. I think that Ben Salam needs to either resign for this, uh, he needs to be replaced, he needs to get fired, and we need to start getting the corruption or the gray area backroom deals out of the FIA to make this a fair sport, in my eyes. And I'm sure in many other eyes, when they do figure this out, that, I mean, it doesn't matter what team you worked for that you can essentially become management and just link information accidentally and then just quit before you get fired. It's absolute bullshit. The president of the FIA of F1, Mohammed bin Salam, you've done a great job. I know it's your first year. There's a lot to take in. I'm, I'm sure there's even more than any of us ever realize, but if you want to be a credit to the sport, like you said, you want to be, then you absolutely, and I mean absolutely, need to stop this backroom deal bullshit that we all know that's happening and that's making the sport that much worse. And it puts a black eye on you, it puts a black eye on Mercedes, and unintentionally, but just because guilty of association, it puts a black eye on the drivers and anybody associated with Mercedes F1. I know, I don't know for a fact, but I'll bet you dollars for donuts that... Uh, Russell and Hamilton had absolutely no idea. They were not involved in any of this. But now when you look at anything to do with Mercedes Formula One, you're just going to look at Total Wolf and the two drivers going, yeah, they'll do anything to win, including cheating. And they generally get away with it because Mercedes brings in the most amount of money. Fuck them. I'm not going to support them anymore. I'm going to go to a different team. Or some fans may just stop watching Formula One altogether just because Sometimes this is a very, very, very corrupt sport. And this is just from what's, that's just from what the uh, public knows about it. Who knows what else happens in those backroom deals? They need to fix it. They need to fix it now before this really gets out of control. Moving on. And the last part of the hot topics today, the long-term on and off membership. It's kind of like a, you know, that ex-girlfriend that you take in and you know, you get rid of again, what well, I shouldn't say get rid of, you get together, you break up, you get together, you break up the end of the sponsorship and partnership of golf oil with McLaren officially ends at the end of the 2022 season. No official statement has been given on why the sponsorship has been terminated. They're just going their separate ways yet again. Golf oil has been on and off with McLaren over the, since 1990. They were in in 1990. Then they were around for a couple of years and they left then they came back and then they left uh, their recent contract they signed in 2020 and now they're done in 2022 again. So who knows, you know, McLaren may see this ex-girlfriend one more time for a little bit more financial help. And that folks is the essential hot topic roundup for the 2022 season. Let's get to the 2020, 20, 2022 overview right now. 
2022 year in review and what a wonderful year to review what a wonderful year to watch especially if you're a brand new to f1 and even if you're not a brand new fan to f1 just as enjoyable as the first time you watched it brand new drivers brand new cars brand new specs budget cost budget caps all the kind of stuff it really really made for a very very interesting year i thoroughly enjoyed it i hope you guys enjoyed watching it as well so let's get right into it. So the way that I've done this is I've essentially given on-track ratings and off-track ratings. Uh, I like to keep things simple. I do a 10-point system, so I'm going to give it a score from 1 to 10, uh, on-track and off-track. Let's start with the on-track. I'm definitely, this is my third or fourth season watching Formula 1, and compared to the rest of them, I'm definitely giving this F1 season an 8 out of 10. I absolutely loved it mainly for the reason of the brand new cars with the brand new development. And in my opinion, it reset Formula One to what it used to be. It used to be that you had to think outside the box to get new development and new sponsors and new track times and new this and new that. I think this brought it back 100% to the good old days. It was nice to see a different car. It was nice to see new drivers uh it was nice to see that the grid itself was put more on an even playing field that it wasn't just the guys that spend 500 million dollars on development that are going to win the entire time or these guys got the brand new sponsor they get more money they're going to win more races you know all that kind of stuff and that it was kept on a level playing field it was it was amazing to watch um one thing i do have to say about the new car development which i think is abs they need to slow down on is they need to stop painting the cars so much red bull especially and mclaren pick one color it looks great pick one color scheme i know when you go to japan you want it to make it look spectacular and one of a kind and you always do but think of the money you spend when you when you paint cars over and over and over and over and over again just pick one design pick the iconic ferrari mercedes red bull uh mclaren just pick the traditional colors that everybody understands and just stick with them they're great you don't need to reinvent the wheel when we love the colors as is um this year opposed to every other season that i've seen for the last six or seven years i loved the mid-team battles it's not just you're not just focusing on the top three teams this year because everyone was brought to a level playing field it was amazing to see alpine and mclaren and aston martin just battle out for those those mid field points and you just it made it more interesting it wasn't just the top six drivers top six names in the entire f1 that you're going to watch out of 20 you're watching now for the top you know you're watching all 20 drivers because you never know who's going to have an amazing day you don't know who's going to have an absolutely atrocious day it keeps things interesting it makes it more of a a viewing spectacle it's not just oh yeah red bull's gonna win although this was the year that red bull won everything but it also gave you the opportunity that you could watch teams that you maybe weren't totally familiar with like were you interested in watching mclaren last year were you even interested in watching alfred Atari last year were you even interested in watching aston martin anything like that a lot of people would say no, unless you really, really know the teams and you know the drivers and the history of it. You weren't really that interested, but this year made it even more interesting where you had that time and it was the excitement to learn about a new team. You learned some drivers. Maybe you found a new driver this year. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but you got the opportunity to learn about other people and other teams on the grid. It was great. Um, I, I, entertaining as hell to watch. 
I, this is going to sound really bad, but the more Ferrari screwed up week after week or every other week to me made it even more interesting when we watched every single Grand Prix. Because one week they were on the ball, they were challenging, they were beating Mercedes, they were beating Ferrari, they were in the hunt, and then total switch next week, all of a sudden the engines are catching fire, they're making calls for drivers to come in and switch tires, which would totally fuck up their entire race, and they would fall to the middle of the pack or just not even finish the race. Like It was a guessing game every single week, and for me it was kind of like that storyline within the storyline. It's like, okay, it's going to be the battle between Red Bull and Ferrari, or Mercedes and McLaren, and what's Ferrari doing this weekend? Are they going to finish the race? Are they not? What kind of drama are they bringing extra to the track that you wouldn't necessarily see year after year after year or any other previous years? I think it, it was entertaining as hell. I mean, some of us were taking bets on both cars actually finishing the race, kind of like uh, Latifi. Is he going to hit somebody? Is he not going to hit somebody? Ferrari, are you going to finish the race? Or are you not going to finish the race? Which driver is going to get absolutely screwed over this race opposed to the last race? Whose turn is it? Um, who's getting fired? Is somebody going to get fired? It was it was great. And with the development of the cars and the specs and all these kind of new regulations also came I the development of the drivers. And I loved watching old drivers learn new tricks. I totally loved watching the new rookie drivers get the feel of f1 but not a traditional f1 car and it really it really made these guys feel more you know more more regular i guess you could see they weren't exactly they're not superheroes anymore that you could see them struggle you could see them learn it added another level of intrigue going okay you are a four-time champion congratulations can you work past this new obstacle that you didn't have a couple years ago because you have a new driver because you have a new team because you've got a new partner, because you've got a new car. You could also tell which drivers relied on their skills more, opposed to which drivers relied on their equipment more. A lot of people say, you know the old saying, it's not the equipment, it's the operator. And I really think that you learned which operator could actually use their equipment to the best of their abilities, and which of them kind of threw their hands up in the air mid-season going, uh, you know what, it's not really working for me, ditch the car, we have to start all over again. Or you could really tell, like, hey, you're not actually that good of a driver. You bought your way in or you relied on your car too much to make you look good. It really, even the playing field, definitely this season, I think, was the exception rather than the rule that one driver, I mean, Max Verstappen, yeah, he won last year, that was great. But that was, he really had to work for it where this year you could see where max is really at because you could tell the mentality that he had to learn a new car learn new specs learn the new feel same tracks same left turn right turn chicane and all that kind of stuff but he i think picked up the mental part of it better than anybody else that he was able to adapt faster some drivers did some drivers didn't but i give credit to every single one of those 20 drivers that not everybody had a great weekend that they really had to mentally push through and figure out how to fix a b and c when it didn't go right instead of just blaming the equipment or blaming their teams it was that really introspective look at how can i make this better what can i do to improve next week or after a break or something along that line how can i help my team to be better and i think the product on track just absolutely delivered for all 
all of the hype and all of the speculations from the 2021 season to this season going, they're going to be able to drive closer. They're going to be able to get faster speeds and this and that. Okay, you hear the hoopla. You hear the, oh yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be this, but will it actually deliver? I think definitely this season, the drivers and the equipment definitely delivered as they were advertised. Hence the eight and a half out of 10 rating for me. The only thing that I would have loved to have seen a little bit more to make it a nine out of 10, or I want to say even a potentially a 10 out of 10 would be just a closer, a closer race between the top three teams. Yeah. It was an off season for Mercedes. They really weren't able to keep up with, I mean, essentially they, you could call them a mid grid team. They weren't able to really keep up with any of the, the heavy hitters. I wish Red Bull wasn't as dominant as they were this year. I mean, it made it, it made some races kind of boring. You just kind of assumed Red Bull was going to race or they were going to win. That was pretty much it. I mean, everything else was great. I, I would love to see this type of season all over again for the 2023 season. I think it would just make it for spectacular viewing more sprint races. I think that's going to be, that'll add another level of dimension to it. Um, as well as a lower cost cap, they've got to do more with less. And I think that's going to be very interesting. I think that would be the only reason why that's how we're going to get a little bit higher of a rating for a season next year, but eight and a half out of 10. I mean, you really can't complain, especially if you're a brand new viewer to F1, it's a great season to come up on. Now on the flip side, we're going to do the off track ratings of one to 10. Again, I give it an eight and a half. I like this season off track drama and silly season more than regular seasons because the race directors and the teams have, I mean, from my opinion, they've calmed down. There's not so much. He said, she said speculation. He's cheating. They're cheating any of that kind of stuff. It was more race orientated. It was more driver orientated, which was amazing. You want to get to learn the drivers off the track, not just what they can do on the track. It adds more personality to it. Drive to Survive definitely helped in that one, but the off-track interviews and the stories and all that kind of stuff that you kept track with, or at least that I kept up with, really made these drivers seem more uh, more human than anything else. We're going to start off, for me, the top story. I mean, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Mick Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel retiring. I mean, he's he's left a fantastic legacy. It is a shame to see him leave, but we had the ability to watch him drive like we know he can throughout the season. He pushed the Aston Martin car to the absolute limits. He was getting his points. You could see he was a Sebastian of old to a certain extent that if he had a better car, let's say he's in a Mercedes or he's in a McLaren or even better, put him in a, a Red Bull. He would have won a ton of races this year. He had that drive. He wanted to leave on a high note. And I definitely believe that he did. Uh, for me personally, watching Mick Schumacher, it was a little painful to watch him some parts of the year. I think he did get a bum rap from Haas this season, but it was fantastic to see another Schumacher on the grid uh, being able to put in those lap times. You can still see that he is the future of F1, that he is here to stay if somebody just gives him a chance in a proper team. For me, it was amazing to see him. Uh, next up, the uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Everybody loves the Honey Badger. Everybody absolutely, he's the star, and I believe he is the face of Formula One. Not to say that Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton have not added to the legacy of Formula One, but I think Daniel Ricciardo is the everyday, every man's driver. 
He is the everyday kind of guy driver. You can relate to him when he's having a good day. You can totally relate to him when he's having a bad day. And for him to come out for the contract going, hey, I need some time off because I need a reset. Who do you know hasn't been able or hasn't said, hey, I need a day off from work when I can get it because I need a reset. I'm tired. I'm just, I'm not loving it. He is that guy. And to see him have a tumultuous, essentially crap season, but still make the best of it. He still got points. Yeah, he got outplaced by Lando Norris, you know, nine times out of 10 as, as the statistics show you, but you still show, you still saw him try. And he's, he was like that underdog that you're like, come on, man, you got to get another seat for next season. You got to be able to stay in formula one. And to see him get that third driver's seat, the reserve driver's seat for Red Bull was just, it was fantastic. It was heartwarming for me personally. That was the number one story off the track that I followed throughout the entire year. Cause you knew his contract was up, but you can't, you can't not love the guy. I think the only other popular guy who's more popular than him is Sebastian Vettel. You could follow those guys' stories all day, every day for years and not find one negative thing about him that not related to the track. Environmentalists, they speak up for, you know, themselves and their teams. They're always giving compliments when they absolutely can. It was just, it was fantastic to see him race this year, sometimes painful, but it was also even more heartwarming to see that he's got a seat for next season. And, uh, it's the heartwarming story of 2022. That's that's all I'm going to say. Uh, next up, I called it budget cap drama, but it wasn't drama in my opinion. But to see teams actually have, the bigger teams have a budget cap that they had to work with, watching them develop every week and making them, or seeing them think outside the box. For those of you who don't know, back in the day, and we're talking 2021 and seven years back, Mercedes had a reported like $300 million developmental budget for the cars. That's not including anything else. That's just wind tunnel time, parts, all that kind of stuff. To see them figure out, and it was painful at some times. Like I, It is definitely painful to watch these guys develop to, some, to a certain extent sometimes. But to see Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari have the budget cap they did to work with, it was... It was fantastic. It was it was great to see the field leveled and these guys learning how to develop again. I'm sure their engineers loved it and hated it at the same time. You think outside the box. It's what these guys are paid for. This is what the fans want to see is something that's totally, totally different, yet totally fun and unique at the same time. And I'm not going to lie. It was kind of nice to see. It, it was nice for me. It was nice to see that. Red Bull was winning everything, and I am a Red Bull fan, but it was nice to see them corrected and punished for them going over the budget cap. I mean, it's nice to see the FIA was implying some kind of rules and giving out some kind of punishment, no matter how lenient, in my opinion, that punishment was. But yeah, absolutely love the budget cap drama this stuff this year. And last but not least for the on-track, it was it's got to do with on-track and off-track, but at the same time, it was amazing to see rookie drivers and drivers changing teams that are actually succeeding in a sporting environment that they know that it wasn't sticker shock for the rookies like Joe Guan Yu, who incidentally has also won the rookie of the year award, which is fantastic. Congratulations to him. But normally in any other sport, when you see a rookie come in, no matter how much experience they have in what we're going to call the minor leagues, 
no matter how much experience they have, they don't always, they don't always succeed. They're not always good. Most of the time when a rookie comes in, they don't get humiliated, but they're not exactly the best where in this case, we've got Joe Guan Yu coming in. We've got, uh, Mick Schumacher. Yeah. Here's a second year, still considered a rookie, but he's learning the ropes and these guys, they showed up to play. They showed up to race, which was amazing to see. They didn't let the older racers, you know, just steamroll them. They didn't let the pomp and circumstance that is formula one take away from what they needed to do weekend and week out on the track. It was great to see. I can only see rookies from here on out following in their footsteps and just making this sport even better. So at the end of the day, that is why I gave the off track rating an eight and a half out of 10. I think it was absolutely deserved. Um, I can't really think of anything that would make it a nine out of 10 right off the top of my head. Maybe, maybe not seeing so much budget cap drama, maybe I guess for next season or seeing them innovate a little bit more with the budget cap that they will have for next season. That's it. That's, you know what? I'm going to change my mind. That's what I'm going to say to, to make it a nine out of 10. I, for next season, I want to see them do more with a smaller budget cap that they have there. I've said it. Uh, and one last thing I have also rated top five winners and top five losers in my opinion for this coming up or for the 2022 season. So let's just hop into that right now. So just to break it down for you, I've got the top five winners and I've also got the top five losers and I will give you my reasons for why I've got them rated. They're not exactly in any type of, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five doesn't necessarily mean that number one is the best. These are just my top five. So let's start with the winners. I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I'm going to start off with him, not just because he's the seven time world champion, but because he literally had to learn how to drive all over again. He went from a car that had essentially an unlimited research budget to a car like with less than half of the budget and he needed he needed to learn how to race all over again he couldn't just rely on the technology and you could see that evolution throughout the year he definitely struggled at one point he did blame his engineers and his crew and his equipment instead of how he was driving because he's used to driving a car that is 100 percent dominant and now you've got a car that yeah it's still in the top five but you are definitely not the top dog anymore you could see him and his team working together on how to mentally work past it, not necessarily fix it, but mentally work past it and learn how to drive all over again. You, you are still having to be competitive, but you are racing against everybody else. You're not just racing against Max anymore. You're racing against McLaren's you're racing against Alpine. Sometimes it, most of the time you're racing against your second driver. You're racing against George Russell, who has come out of the blocks like there is absolutely no tomorrow. So kudos to Hamilton. It showed the mental stability that a, you would expect from a seven-time champion that he is. I expect him for next season, mark my words, he will be in the top three, and I expect him to win more than one podium next season. He's got that mental toughness. He's done the reset. Okay, reset's done. We know how to race now. So 2023 bring it on next up rookie of the year joe guan Yu, uh as amazing to see a rookie just jump out of the gates like that he didn't win any races he did top five i think once but it was it was amazing to watch him race and learn from valtteri bottas and learn from his mistakes 
there were some weekends were absolutely atrocious for him. He would take corners way too fast in certain type of weather. Granted, sometimes it's the track specific, but he learned from his mistakes week in and week out. Alfa Romeo is absolutely lucky to have Joe Guan Yu in their second seat or even just a driver in general, not just, I wouldn't even call it a second seat. I would just say one of the drivers for Alfa Romeo, I expect him to just get better. He's going to remember, he's going to work hard in the off season. He's going to remember what he learned this year and he's going to bring that with him for next season and the season after that and the season after that. And I expect him to be on the podium at least twice next season. Out of 23 races, I will quote it now that I expect to see Joe Guan Yu on the podium at least two races in 2023. I expect nothing but good things from him. Daniel Ricciardo, for various reasons. Not necessarily for his driving ability, because he didn't have the best car. Uh, Everybody knows that he didn't have the best season, as everybody had witnessed. But just his mental fortitude to always be smiling when he possibly could at the end of the race he always tried his best he always did whether that succeeded for him on the track or not you could tell that he generally wanted to end the year with a bang and he proved himself time and time again which ended in the result of him getting that third driver's seat with red bull it's a great way to end the year for him it's a great you know feel good story of the 2022 season he deserves that seat he got that seat next year if we see him race, and I don't think we will, but unless something major happens to either Checo or Max, I don't expect to see him race uh, in 2023. But practice laps, research laps, when you've got your drive, third driver, your rookie drivers out, I expect to see the Daniel of old, the Daniel that was in Red Bull before he left. He's going to have a new fire underneath him. He will be a force to reckon with further on down the road. Charles Leclerc, I know it seems a little odd to put him as a winner, but yes, he did get second in the championship. That's great. But for him, the reason why I put him in the winner's list is the same reason why I've got Hamilton on that list. It's just the mental fortitude to never physically stop trying on the track. Yeah, you could hear in some of the messages that he he was not happy. Some of the decisions that Ferrari made was just mind-bogglingly like, what what the fuck are you guys doing? He rolled with the punches the best he could. He showed the maturity of, you know, a seven-time champion like Lewis Hamilton. He showed major maturity that he can roll with the punches, that he can still come out on top as often as he absolutely can. Next season, with the changing of the guard at Ferrari, I expect the she to see Charles Leclerc in the top three yet again. I expect to see him fighting for a championship against Max and Lewis next year, just like he did this year. I see him getting more points next season. I see him learning very well from what happened this year, and he will take those lessons into next year. He's a veteran at this point, in my opinion. He's going to take these lessons. He's going to take them. He's going to learn them. He's learned from them, and he will come out uh, higher than he did this year. Again, he didn't exactly suck this year, but there was a lot of obstacles that he had to overcome. And he did it like a champion. Last but not least, last top five winner. And I think we are witnessing greatness in this driver. Uh, We're talking about Nick DeVries with less than two hours notice that he was a reserve driver. He was doing media. He was doing the pre-race show. 
And then all of a sudden they pulled him from the pre-race show and they're going, you're driving. And he's sitting there going, uh, what? Okay, here we go. Two hours notice. The seat is not fitted to him. He mentally has to get ready to go and go right now. And he gets points in his very first drive. He got ninth or 10th. Top 10, he got points. With this kind of mental fortitude and this kind of drive, he is, I'm going to say he is like the prodigy of Formula One racing. Next season in 2023 will be his first full season. I expect great things from him. I expect for him to continue with the momentum that he had from that one race. Granted, it was just one race, but I do expect to see him with more points next season than half the grid easily. I think with him replacing Pierre Gasly and Alfred Atari that we're going to, in less than two years, we're going to go Pierre who? For Alfred Atari, we're going to have to remember what his name is because Nick DeVries is going to come in and just absolutely smoke everybody. He's got a good car. He's not getting picked up by Williams. He's not getting picked up by Haas. He's getting picked up by Alfa Atari. He's in the Red Bull program as it is, which brings massive benefits for the Alfa Atari team. So he will get points. He is the prodigy of Formula One. I'm going to say it now. And I expect to see him in the top five at least once or twice for next season. But that one race, you got two hours notice. You're coming out. You're getting points. That just that absolutely speaks volumes to his character and his racing abilities. So with the top five winners, we also have the top five losers. Again, this is not necessarily in any kind of category or any kind of um, ranking system, but I'll let you choose which one you think is the biggest loser and the biggest winner of 2022. Losers, we're going to start off with, and this is going to be kind of self-explanatory, we're going to start off with Ferrari. There was just, for a championship team and the caliber that Ferrari is and the pedigree that they have, and just the history of the team. To watch this season, if you were brand new to Formula One, and you're like, oh my God, Ferrari, I've heard of them. Let's see how amazing they are. You would sit back and go, what's all the commotion about? These guys look like amateurs in some instances. Like The drivers seem to have absolutely no say in what they do unless they leave the pit crew with absolutely no other options. You're coming into pit. No, I'm staying out. Um, the decisions that the pit wall made and the director made during races going, you need to do this instead of you need to do that. It's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you putting them on this tire? Why are you putting them on this kind of strategy when everybody else is doing this? I understand taking a chance. I, I understand mixing things up to get points when you're in the scramble for first pl- for first place. I understand that to a certain extent, but at some point, you have to listen to your drivers or you have to fire people on the pit wall. You have to make some kind of change and not at the end of the season, but mid-season. And Ferrari just failed on all accounts. It shows the fortitude of Charles Leclerc that he got second in the championship standings because his team did not help him one bit. It wasn't Man, it wasn't like they were helping their drivers out. It wasn't like they had some secret strategy that nobody knew about that all of a sudden that they were going to be winning five, six, seven, eight, nine races at a time. You're looking at them five, six, seven races at a time going, what in the fuck are you doing? It's 
in my opinion, it's good they finally switched things up with the race director. I think it's also way too late for that, that they're going to take at least a season, if not two, to re-figure everything where they trust their drivers, where they trust they trust the system. And they, you know what? They take some educated chances. They let their drivers make decisions that only a driver can know. You know what the conditions are. You know how the tires feel. You want me to come in for a pit stop? That's not necessarily the best idea because... You're not driving. Leclerc is. Sites is. Listen to them every once in a while. Uh, yeah. I, I hope they do better for next season. I don't anticipate it to. I do anticipate them being a little bit more consistent. Uh, just with the physical car themselves. I don't see the cars catching on fire at any point next season. I do think they have those mechanical issues worked out. Now, pit lane, that's a whole other issue. But we can only wait to see what happens in 2023. Uh, moving on, Checo, yeah, you got third in the driver's standings. That's great. Yeah, you got uh, you won the constructors. That's great. You are also forever and always until you leave Red Bull. Unfortunately, Checo, you are now in a position that you are the second driver of Red Bull. You always have been, and now you always will be with the domination of what Max had in the 2022 season, how the majority of the upgrades, at least when they first came out, would go to Max, how team orders supported Max and not you, even in the beginning of the season, because he was the champion. And to show how petty Max is when it comes to now we're even at the worst possible times, unfortunately man points wise you won that's great but realistically you are you're one of the losers of the 2022 season man you you need you need to leave red bull you need to go to a team that will let you flourish that you're not the second driver you are just a driver of a great organization because if you stay in red bull to the end of your contract you will always be the second driver always and forever will be unless max doesn't race for a specific reason you are the second driver you will always have to race according to how max tells the team how you're supposed to race it's always going to be max first i agree i understand he's a two-time champion but this is a team sport and i necessarily wouldn't want to drive on a team like that granted i haven't won a championship i'm not part of the red bull team but I would want to be part of a team. And I think Checo is starting to feel like that from some of his post-race interviews, from some of the articles that have come out, that he wants to be part of a team, not just be the second driver in Red Bull behind Max. Um, you saw it clear as day in a couple of races. It's all about Max. It's all about the team. It's not about Checo. doesn't matter how well Checo's doing. It's always about getting Max ahead. Or, hey, in qualifying, hey, Max is first. Checo needs some help. Max is in the garage. There is no team orders for him to help out Checo at all. It doesn't even occur to anybody to tell Max to go help Checo because Max will just go, fuck you, no. And they'll be like, okay, Checo, you have to do this on your own. So I think Checo needs to leave Red Bull to be you know, a personal winner. Yeah, he won the Constructors again. He got third place because he's doing so well in a Red Bull car. But I don't think it's necessarily because of the Red Bull team aspect. So... Sorry, Checo, but you're one of my 2022 losers. Moving on, Fernando Alonso in Alpine. Thank God he's moving away from Alpine into Aston Martin for next season. I think it's 
mathematically, it's a horrible idea. When you look at points per team and you look at points um, gained and lost, I think it's a horrible idea to go to Aston Martin, but for his mental sake and just for the reliability of the vehicle, he's made a great decision, but he also had to suffer through this season. Um, Esteban Ocon is not a team driver. He is, he's all about himself. And Fernando, I don't think quite realized that until this season. And especially when it needed to be, Hey, you guys are racing each other, but you are still teammates that he found out the hard way that an Alpine Esteban Ocon thinks he's top dog. And that, four-time world champion Fernando Alonso is a second driver. It should be the other way around. Esteban Ocon should be learning from Fernando, but instead, I mean, he was constantly put in his place. He tried to make changes when he came to Alpine as far as, as, far as the driver program goes, as far as the new culture, and it just did not work at all. It, it failed miserably. Not to mention, if you do the basic math for how Fernando Alonso is driving, just the reliability of the Alpine that he was in, he left behind on the track probably 60 points. It's absolutely ridiculous. Where if you look at the Aston Martin that he's going to, not nearly as much reliability issues. So unfortunately for the 2022 season, just for the fact that you had a shit teammate, you had a team that didn't support you and didn't want to change, and for the reliability or the lack thereof of your car, Fernando Alonso, you are in the 2022 losers bracket. Moving on. Now, this is going to seem a little odd because he didn't do horribly, but he didn't, I don't think did his, he didn't do as much as he had hoped. Uh, Valtteri Bottas. He goes from Mercedes to Alfa Romeo. Now, that's not why he's in the losers bracket. In my opinion, one of the losers of 2022. It's not because he went from Mercedes to Alfa Romeo. I think for me, he's in the losers bracket because he didn't make as much of an impact in Alfa Romeo as he had hoped that his consistency was definitely not there this season. I think it was a lot tougher for him than he realized. Yes, he stated he wanted a challenge. That's great. But when you start setting your own personal records because you can't make it out of first qualifying, like first round of qualifying four times this season, there's something that needs to be looked at and it's not necessarily the equipment. I think Valtteri didn't quite realize how much work he'd have to put in or he didn't realize how long this process would take. I do expect him to do a lot better next season. He's got a little bit more time in a struggling team under his belt now. He understands how things are going. He, in my opinion, did better than Joe, uh, just consistency-wise. Yes, Joe did out-qualify Valtteri more often than not, but Valtteri, in my opinion, did do better in the races than Joe, which is a bonus for him. But just for the sheer amount of work that I don't think Valtteri was ready for and for the less than stellar impact that he had in the season, I'm putting Valtteri Bottas in the 2022 losers bracket. Now, last but not least, and this, this pains me to put him in the losers for 2022, but it had almost absolutely nothing to do with the way he drove. This was all off-track drama and the fact that nobody trusted him. I am putting Mick Schumacher into the 2022 losers category. Granted, he did not have a fantastic year. He demolished more cars than he would care to remember. Cost the team a ton of money that they didn't necessarily have. At one point, he got benched because they didn't have enough money or spare parts to put out two cars. And just 
when your boss has absolutely no faith in you whatsoever and he publicly says it, I think that's just a sign of a toxic environment. Um, and he had to deal with that all season. Yes, after he was publicly called out, he did do better, which is good, but he didn't do well enough. I think he was behind the eight ball from the beginning of the season, not just with the way that the hosses are built, just there was no support for him. Yeah, he brought in the Schumacher name. Yes, it's a massive name to live up to. And I think that kind of caught up to him. And he was paired with a driver that Kevin Magnuson is good. He's not earth-shatteringly good. And he still wasn't able to keep up with him just consistency-wise or car-wise and just overall performance. That's why I put him in the 2022 bracket of losers. Hopefully, he will be signed for next season, uh, even as a third driver somewhere. There are talks that he is linked with Audi. That would be amazing for him. A German driver on a German team would be fantastic for him, but that's not until 2026. So that concludes the top five winners and losers of the 2022 season. That also concludes the 2022 review episode. I thank you, everybody out there, for listening to F101 this season. Uh, let me know how I did. This was the inaugural season. I plan on being here for a very long time. I will definitely be back for the 2023 season, giving you guys all the inside tips and tricks of the Formula One world, as well as breaking down every race of the 23 race season. But this is also not the last time that you're going to hear from me. In the next week or so, I will be starting a new series. It will be the history of Formula One, where I'll be breaking down all 10 constructors, their histories, their drivers, and their accomplishments. So until next, until then, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I will talk to you later.